This is Cutie Clinic, and I'm Jack Cushman, Room Now. RA Cutie Clinic is brought to you by our campaign on RA, Hard Decisions at RA. Uh, our case, Bad Habits with Rheumatoid Factor. A 57-year-old woman has eight months of joint pain, swelling, and stiffness in her hands. She finally goes to see her primary care doctor. He does a bunch of labs, blood counts, chemistries, does a battery of serologies, finds her to be negative for RF, um, ANA, CCP. Her CRP and SED rate are marginally elevated. SED rate 38, CRP 1.1 milligrams per deciliter. They're abnormal, but they're kind of low abnormal, right? These were done about four weeks ago, and then he sends the patient to you. No imaging. Um, he didn't start any therapy. When you see the patient, there's synovitis in both wrists, uh, and in a few MCPs and PIPs, ankles are tender. When you see this patient, are you diagnosing RA? Patient seronegative, but has otherwise the criteria. Do you repeat the rheumatoid factor and the CCP, and or God forbid, the ANA? Um, and why would you or why would you not? So I'm not a big believer in repeat serologies. If it was negative, it's always going to be negative. If it's positive, it's always going to be positive. But, you know, you could say there's only eight months of disease activity. We do know that people with six months or less of RA symptoms, they'll only be about 40 to 60% RF positive. Whereas long-standing established RA is over 75% RF positive. So maybe they turn seropositive and that's your uh, evidence. That's good. I think that's fine. Um, I'll do rheumatoid factor and CCP and an x-ray as an initial staging procedure. And, and I think that you'll find that that's probably the smart thing to do. Um, whether you do it repeatedly is, I think, really suspect. Um, you know, there's a recent study from ULAR, um, Dan Alataha's group, showed that if you did repeated rheumatoid factors, they didn't talk about CCP. If you did repeated rheumatoid factors, you find that some patients with RA will drop their rheumatoid factor by 50% or more or become seronegative. And I find that actually surprising, but they have the data that showed that. More importantly, patients who went had significant drops in their rheumatoid factor were people who did better in the long run. Now, this is contrary to what I would teach and what I've been taught that you don't need to do repeated serologies. There's no point in doing that. There's only a few drugs that are capable of really lowering rheumatoid factor, and that's rheumatoid factor, uh, that's rituximab, uh, abatacep, and probably JAK inhibitors. Maybe sulfazalzine, but methotrexate, TNF, IL-6 inhibitors, they don't lower rheumatoid factor, and they shouldn't, um, unless there's another process in play. So finding that you, you know, keep, to keep measuring it with the hope that you're going to lessen the titers, irrespective of the therapy you use, I don't see the point of that. So, yet this does happen. The question is, is it the smart thing to do? What do you think? What do you do? Well, maybe we can discuss this next time we meet. Tune in for more RAQD Clinics. RAQD Clinics are brought to you by BMS, the sponsor of our campaign on hard decisions in RA. Welcome to RAQD Clinic. Hi, I'm Jack Cush with Room Now. 
Today's case, the RAGI Fast Track. This is sort of a retrospective piece. I came across this note on a patient that I've been following for over 10 years. Um, the gentleman is now 30 years old. He was diagnosed with seronegative rheumatoid arthritis back about 10 years ago. Um, he had polyarthritis, negative uh, serology for RF and CCP. Um, he did have uh, high levels of stiffness and set rate 70 CRP with 8 milligrams per deciliter. Um, and he had involvement of, at different times, uh, hips, knees, ankles, wrists, and usually at any one time, two to four joints active. He has bounced in and out of my clinic over the last 10 years. Some might say he's non-compliant. Some might say he has intermittent disease. Others might say he's a young student who has no insurance and is bothered by all the bills. And the question is, how do you handle um, this gentleman's uh, treatment, evaluation, future care, and the big issue of non-compliance, because that's clearly in play here. So when I see him, the last time I see him, he presents with arthralgias. He had been, in, about six to eight months ago, I had given him some samples of golimumab. He has been treated over the years at various times, largely with samples, um, sometimes with a patient assistance program. He's been treated with prednisone, methotrexate, hydroxychloroquine, nonsteroidals, tocilizumab, adalimumab, sulfazalazine, and most recently, golimumab. And, uh, and generally, the TNF inhibitors have worked in him. The IL-6 inhibitor didn't. Um, I'm never quite sure if the methotrexate or Plaquenil worked. I'm never sure that he really took them. But now he presents with um, stiffness, some arthralgias, Mild stiffness, um, mild to moderate arthralgias, denies any swollen joints, but is having um, weight loss again. He's had it before and now bloating without diarrhea. He denies diarrhea or bloody diarrhea. Uh, I have previously suspected him of having colitis. That was a cult and the cause for his arthritis. And the question is, what are we going to do now? We're just going to refill his golimumab. We're going to read him the riot act about coming to clinic. I've told him many times in the past, you're not my patient unless you come every three months. I'm not going to, if you have no money, I don't care. I'm not going to charge you. If you have no money, I don't care. I'm still going to get you drug. You know, this needs to be treated and no one's going to be treating it any better than I will and then maybe you need to consider you need to go to the GI doctor and he had not done that as yet so anyway at this visit I strongly again suspected that he had colitis probably Crohn's disease and um, and told him here's two syringes of of golumab and you have to go you know he is quantiferon negative hepatitis uh, testing negative he has a normal labs on exam. He doesn't have any swollen joints today, but he has four tender joints. But he has the signs of prior damage. He's got a hallux valgus deformity bilaterally, mild elbow contractors indicating past 
um, inflammation in his elbows, uh, some limitation in the left wrist. So the, the challenge here is, A, getting him in to see the GI guy. That's first. That's why he's a fast track. Why, do I, why am I worried about this? One, he's had intermittent GI complaints. Um, mostly bloating, sometimes weight loss, um, a little bit of diarrhea, but no bloody diarrhea, no mucousy diarrhea, vague abdominal pains, and he's seronegative. Remember we said in the past that an RA patient who is seronegative is your invitation to reconsider the diagnosis at multiple times, if not at every visit. And could it be something that can mimic RA like enteropathic arthritis? So that's why he needs to be on the fast track. I don't want to pump him full of steroids and give him a limitless supply of TNF inhibitors because he'll never go. So then I have, and then what, what anyway, what's, what, why does he have to go to GI? Because he needs the evaluation. He needs to be scoped. He needs a biopsy. He needs to be on the right therapy. And maybe if, his, if this is enteropathic or Crohn's-related arthritis, then maybe he'll do well on vetalizumab, the intocrine-targeted uh, drug. Um, obviously, TNF inhibitors have worked in him in the past, but they have a whole bunch of new drugs besides vetalizumab. They have natalizumab. They've got uh, ustekinumab, the 12-23 inhibitor, and also the IL-23 inhibitors work well, and also now the JAK inhibitors. So there's a number of drugs that are some better. Vetalizumab is much better at the GI complaints than it is at the arthritis, but if that's the dominant problem, bingo. If he's got a dominance of both arthritis and the um, GI stuff, the Crohn's disease, well, then we're going to have to work together, GI and room, in the co-management of this case. Lastly, young people and compliance is a real challenge. Um, number one, just only give them enough medicine till the next visit. Don't take away all the impediments they're coming in uh, as much as you can. I could, at that time, see him... Um, no charge in my clinic and get him medicine for free, either through compassionate use or through samples, right? You can also control on compliance by only giving him medicines that are infused in the clinic or in the infusion suite, right? So that, that could be infliximab over adalimumab, for instance, right? And then, you know, if you have the ability to check blood levels, to look at, uh, uh, at that as a measure of compliance, Put that into play. But really, this is strong communication and getting the young person who doesn't want to be ill, doesn't want to be labeled with, uh, with a diagnosis, doesn't want to be anchored to a chronic therapy. This is a big challenge, as this patient's history has shown us. Hope you enjoyed this QD Clinic. QD Clinic is sponsored by BMS, the sponsor for the Hard Decisions in RA campaign. This is QD Clinic. Hi, I'm Jack Cush with Room Now. QD Clinic is brought to you by BMS, Hard Decisions in RA. Today's case is RA and breast cancer. Oh, this always gets people a little squeamish and squirrely. 42-year-old woman, um, previously diagnosed by me as having rheumatoid arthritis about seven or eight years ago. Um, returns to me after she's been gone two years. Uh, she had a baby about, uh, so she's 42 now, had a baby about five, six years ago. Successful pregnancy, that all went well. 
she um, did well postpartum on, I think, just methotrexate is what she was taking. In the past, she was treated with methotrexate um, and uh, a TNF inhibitor, and that's okay. That went fine. And then two years ago, she came down with um, breast cancer. And so roughly around the age of 40, she had a bilateral mastectomy. She was um, estrogen receptor positive. Uh, she received treatment. She stopped her RA medicines, fell off the rheumatologist map and schedule, was managed by the oncologist with paclitaxel, doxorubicin, cyclophosphamide, even had radiation therapy for five weeks. Um, at the time, she was on abatacept and methotrexate, and that was held. Post-chemo, um, her oncologist put her back on methotrexate. She was doing well, but now she's not doing well. So she comes to see us with um, the baby's fine. She's fine. You know, she's had some reconstructive surgery. Uh, she's only on methotrexate six pills once a week. Um, and the question is, what are we going to do for her current complaints of um, polyarthritis in the MCPs, PIPs, and knees? In the past, she was seropositive for RF and CCP. Um, she previously had taken... Uh, Sertilizumab and etanercept and abatacept. Now she's just on methotrexate, as I said, 15 milligrams a week with folate. And she's having um, pains on exam. She has no deformity. She has nine tender joints, two swollen joints. Um, her recent labs look good. Sed rate and CRP are normal. And the question is, what are you going to do? Oh, the other thing is, you know, she's taking uh, fish oil and folic acid um, Paxil and she's on um, um, letrozole or Famara for hormonal therapy post breast cancer. So the questions at hand are could that uh, aromatase inhibitor estrogen based therapy be causing her joint pain? Second, she's got a history of breast cancer. It's recent. She's not yet totally out of the woods. Do I need to be careful? Can I put her on a biologic? What would you do? What would I do? Uh, these are all easy issues. So when uh, you see her, number one, you make sure she's sleeping fine, that she doesn't have tender points to indicate worry and poor sleep and fibromyalgia and polyarthralgias from that. Number two, the uh, aromatase inhibitor-related uh, pain, a very common phenomenon with both tamoxifen and this drug letrozole, which is often used after tamoxifen or after tamoxifen fails, the incidence rate on people taking aromatase inhibitors is like 30 to 50 percent. And I think it's like, a, I think it's about a third. But they get everything from mainly arthralgias, sometimes tenosynovitis. They generally don't have um, uh, any swelling from this. Um, often when they're evaluated, they're found by other causes of, of joint pain like osteoarthritis or carpal tunnel or fibromyalgia. But again, they do get joint pain such so, so much so that if you stop the aromatase inhibitor, it goes away, right? Um, so in this case, there is no great therapy for that. And, I, and mainly because we don't really know what the etiology of it is. 
Um, in talking to a number of people, the companies who make those products, the um, uh, oncologists, if there's anything that might be associated with this, it is vitamin D deficiency, which I'm not a big fan of, by the way. I'm not a big believer that vitamin D causes all problems human, uh, and, and then all problems human occur, are fixed by giving vitamin D. But in these people, check the vitamin D and then optimize it by in, a, in an aggressive manner. And some of those people do get better. That's my only trick, if you will. Now you got to get on to treating her. She has active disease. Um, check her labs. Um, know that you can give her. What can you give her? Well, the ACR, I don't necessarily believe in all their guidelines on RA treatment, but they got this right going back to 2015 and also in the current guidelines. And that is to say, any RA patient who has a solid tumor should be treated as, and they have a cancer, should be treated as if they don't have the cancer. Meaning, having a solid tumor, lung cancer, prostate cancer, breast cancer, pancreatic cancer, hair, you know, all kinds of, you know, crazy things, colon, cholangiocarcinoma, you know, you name it, doesn't really matter. Gastric cancer, cancers with good prognoses, cancer with bad prognoses. It doesn't matter. You treat with the best drug that you have at your disposal. That does not change the odds of them dying, getting recurrence, or, 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 or having worsening of their cancer if it's still active, right? And that's a very clear um, decision by the guidelines people and by the data and by me. So what am I going to give this woman? Whatever the heck I want. In this case, um, she says she did very well on um, abatacept. I'm going to put her back on abatacept. She wants to take it sub-Q so she doesn't have to get the infusions. We're going to give her sub-Q weekly, and she'll be well in a few weeks. So she gets vitamin D assessments, vitamin D therapy, sub-Q abatacept, and she continues her methotrexate. This is the smart way to manage people with solid tumors who also happen to have rheumatoid arthritis. Tune in for more QD Clinics. Hi, this is RAQD Clinics. I'm Jack Cushwood, Room Now. Today's case is RA in deep remission. You see these patients. I see these patients. This patient is 64 years old. I've been caring for this patient for, oh my goodness, it looks like 15 years. And she's doing great. She was diagnosed going way back um, based on having chronic symmetric polyarthritis of the wrist, uh, MCPs, ankles. She was strongly rheumatoid factor positive, but CCP negative. At the onset, she had carpal tunnel syndrome, which brought her to her family doctor, then to a rheumatologist, and then hence the diagnosis with me. Uh, over the years, uh, she has been treated with, um, I think initially with, um, where do I have that down? I don't have that down. I'm pretty sure she was on uh, sulfasalazine in the beginning when I got her, and then I put her on methotrexate, and then later, um, she after 2003 or four, she went on adalimumab. Today, she's taking celecoxib uh, once or twice a day as needed, and she's on the adalimumab every two weeks. Like the last six, seven, 29 visits, she has no complaints, says she's doing very good, denies any morning stiffness, has no sleep problems. On exam, has a TJC today of two joints, the uh, 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 left wrist and a, 
um, and a, I'm not sure something else. Actually, I guess one joint, and then um, no swollen joints, and her seed eye score is two. But if I look at all of her seed eye scores over the last three years, half of them are zeros, a quarter of them are one, and a quarter of them are one, two, or three. So this patient by seed eye is in deep remission. She always has normal labs. Um, she her own her main health problem is she's two hundred pounds and overweight for her size. She has um, you know few little other problems like uh, diverticulosis in the past. She takes thyroid medicine. Um, she's on she does have type two diabetes and hyperlipidemia, and but those are well controlled with medicines. So now the question is. Um, she's in deep remission. Do I offer her the opportunity to wean off of her adalimumab? She's not on any of the DMARD, just the adalimumab. You may have heard me say during one of the Tuesday night rheumatology uh, sessions this week that I never encourage de-escalation or dose reduction or stopping. Never. Now, never say never, right? You know, and if, if there was ever a patient whom I'll entertain, I'm very much against it because the data is very clear. The vast majority of people who meet remission criteria for 12 months um, do very well. But, you know, um, turns out that 30 to 50 percent will flare and that most of them will recapture if you put them back on therapy. So my point is, why even chance it? Um, people who in these studies where they follow them and they're in deep remission and they follow them over another year, they show that 15 to 30 percent of those people who have no change in their medicine still get flares. So anyway, I would consider um, offering dose reduction, in this case, taking adalimumab once a month, which, you know, it does have a long half-life. That probably is sub-therapeutic, but maybe effective. Or after doing that for two or three months or four months, stopping the drug. Why would I do that, given what I just said? One, my rules would be deep remission. You know, a DASH 28 score of like 2.2 or less. Or a CDI score of 0 or 1 over for a year. But then the most important part is... No other good reason for them to have pain. They've got secondary fibromyalgia. Don't do it. If they've got secondary OA, don't do it. If they've got depression or other reasons why they may get pain intermittently for reasons beyond your control, don't wean their RA therapy because you and the patient will not know whether the flare that you will be dealing with is from that other problem you know, they're a diabetic chiroarthropathy or the fact that you withdrew biologic and or DMARD therapy in someone who still has um, clinically active RA. So uh, it turns out in this patient, I did offer um, weaning or stopping the adalimumab and she's been on the medicine for so long, like what's this, like 14, 15 years, something like that. 
she doesn't want to change anything. She's very happy with the status she's in and taking her shot every two months and seeing me every six months. So they're happy. I'm happy. We move on. The thing I heard this week from Dr. John Goldman in a discussion on this topic is a great relationship with the patient allows you to have these conversations, allows the patient to sometimes wean therapy. But that means that they're going to tell you about their experience and that you and the patient together can come to a decision about future therapy, especially if they happen to get worse or have a flare. Maybe the flare is something you just treat, you know, sporadically with, you know, analgesics and rest, hopefully not steroids. Um, Or maybe the flare is such that you have to go back on the oral DMARD or the injectable biologic. Again, this is my asterisk as to when I might allow weaning of effective therapy in RA. Hope you enjoyed this month of RAQD clinics. I have.